Good morning. I am so glad uh, that you're here with us today. We are continuing our series that we've been on. We're in week three in this summer series called Bear Fruit, learning how to bear fruit, learning how to live more like Jesus, and in the process, live less like jerks. Isn't that a good thing? That's not only going to make you happy, by the way, when we learn to be more like Jesus, less like jerks. The whole world appreciates around us. The world is desperate for Christians to act like Christ. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put the Christ back in Christianity. Over in Galatians chapter 5, this has been sort of our foundation passage in the series. The Apostle Paul, he describes what he calls the fruit of the Spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we mentioned before that some folks naturally, you read this and you see this as a list of, of nine different fruits, but perhaps a better way to look at this, to see this, is one fruit, because it says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And this one fruit is that first one on the list, love, that is manifested or expressed in eight other different ways. There's another analogy I heard this week that I really liked. Uh, It said that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's like a beam of white light that hits a prism, and then it separates into all those beautiful colors, right? And so you see those different colors within the white light, but love is the light itself, which is reflected in eight other ways. Um, Regardless, what the Apostle Paul is is getting at here, what he's saying to us is here's here's the kinds of things that uh, the love of God in you is leading you toward. These are the things that, the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit in you wants to help you to give shape to. He wants to form you into these things. And, I, and he's, he wants us to be aware so that we can partner with the Holy Spirit. Partner with rather than resist, because we have that choice. We can partner with the Holy Spirit or we can resist what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in us. So that's what we're challenging ourselves to do. Uh, one of the things that we've noticed too is that fruit, you know, just if you go out into an orchard or something like that, fruit doesn't grow big and juicy uh, because it's trying super duper hard uh, to grow big and juicy, right? The fruit's not like, come on, like, get sweeter, get sweeter. The fruit really isn't having to do that much. The, it's the tree, right? The vine uh, that's doing the hard work of growing the fruit. Uh, the fruit's job is really don't let go, hang on, right? Stay connected. And that's why Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's flowing. These are virtues, character traits of Jesus, uh, that Jesus is growing in us. He's developing in us. And our job really is to let Him, to let Him grow this, to not squelch it by giving in to what our flesh wants to do, you know, to what the circumstances around us are leading us to do, what our natural habits are, what our natural tendencies are, that old man uh, wants to do. The role of the Christ follower is to follow Christ. That's, that's, that's the, the challenge for me every morning. My challenge is, is to follow Christ, to do what He has set before me, and to let Him transform me. However, it's interesting, one of the primary instructions Jesus gives us over and over to make this a reality is, what does He say? He says to focus on my teachings. He says, learn to trust and live Uh, by his teachings. And he goes on to say, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. So he's saying, yeah, listen to what I say, listen to my teachings, but also do what I do, actually obey my commands. So now you may have picked up this morning on kind of, there's a a little interesting sort of give and take going on here at play. On the one hand, he's the vine uh, and we're the branches. He's doing the hard work 
in us, right? Without him, we're hopeless. On the other hand, Scripture makes clear that we're entering into a kind of a partnership here. We have a, we're, it's a relationship going on here because ultimately uh, we're not just helpless branches, are we? We're not just branches sitting here. We are image bearers of God. We get that throughout the scriptures. Uh, and so our choices matter. Uh, and so that's why Jesus is sure to remind, remind us, remain in me if you want to be fruitful. Remain in me. Because of course, you, you wouldn't normally have to tell a, a vine to do that, right? Uh, James, when you're, when you're out there farming your, your, your garden every, every year, you don't have to go tell your plants, stay connected, remain, right? Don't give up. You don't have to tell them that. They, they just do that, right? But we have to be told, we have to be told, remain in me. Don't don't let go. Uh, but, you know, whereas normal branches don't have a choice in the matter, Jesus is referring to us as branches that have a choice here. So ultimately, we are image bearers of God who make decisions. We make the decision to stay or to leave, to soak in the teachings of Jesus, the example of Jesus. And so he teaches throughout his life and his actions as well as his words to do this. So there's this beautiful dance going on here where on the one hand, our job is to submit to him. And that alone is, is, is a challenge every day to submit to his will, not our wills, to submit ourselves, put ourselves in God's hands to do with us what he wills. But then for that image bearer of God that we are, it's never a fully passive lifestyle. It's not fully passive because we are making that choice moment by moment to stay rooted in him. And, and this is what is beautiful. Because ultimately, we're not God's pets. We're not his robots. He doesn't lobotomize us. We're his children. That's the beautiful message that of the gospel is that we have become children of God, right? We're his children. And so we have a choice to partner with him or not. And hopefully, all of you here today, uh, by being here, you are saying yes. You are, you are saying yes to what he wants to grow in you. Now, we've talked about love in week one. Last week we looked at joy, uh, and this week we're diving into peace. Peace. If you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to start at there. And by the way, if you uh, haven't been to your uh, local home life group, I encourage you to get connected with home life. The, uh, the discussions this week and last week have just been so good. Just the, the home life groups, uh, just getting good feedback from the other groups besides even mine, and, uh, and just such good diving into this stuff. Uh, you would think, you know, if you hear it, you just look at the title and you think, oh, it's a a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds nice. That sounds like a nice little, you know, Sunday school lesson. We're going to learn about the fruit of the Spirit. But we're really getting into something that, number one, is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. But this is also uh, very instrumental for us as, as, a, as a weapon of spiritual warfare in this day and age that we live in, in learning how to, how to be equipped uh, to live. Okay, peace. We've talked about peace in other series, some good series out there, some good messages. I encourage you to go and check those out on the website. Melissa taught a, a great message on peace last year or the year before, but that was really good. But this subject is so, peace is so uh, multi-layered and far-reaching. There are actually three facets of peace 
that I want to unpack today. Three different areas where we need to allow peace to rule in our life. The first area is already you already enjoy if you're a Christian. Uh, the second area you desperately want to enjoy uh, more than likely. And the third area you might not even know about. So this is we'll, we'll look at these these three realms of peace. Let's look at something Paul says in Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, I love that passage, that we have been justified through faith. Remember, justified in the Bible is this legal term. It, it, it means declared not guilty. Declared not guilty. The trial is over. It, it's like you, you are just as if you had never sinned. That's the way I was taught to remember that when I was a little kid. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. God looks on us as not guilty. And notice it's in the past tense too. Every religion Every religion on the earth looks at God as judge in some future tense, right? Judgment day. Are you prepared? Are you ready for judgment day, right? God's going to judge. Jesus turns the tables on all of this to say it's already been accomplished through Christ. It's already been done. So when we put our trust in Jesus, it's like God has clicked, dragged, and dropped our future into our past, right? And declared us already not guilty. So in the present, right here where we are, we can just celebrate. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about judgment day. That's what grace is all about. It's, it's really good news. And so we have, it says, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the first realm uh, we discover, and that is peace with God. The fact that he says we now have peace with God, it suggests that at some point, in the past, we didn't have peace with God, right? There was some point where something was broken in that relationship. Uh, something needed to be reconciled. Uh, and so, because if there's a conflict, nothing else is going to go right. And so, Paul assures us here that we are now at peace with God because we're justified, we're reconciled. There's nothing negative between you and God. And if you, if you have that feeling, if you walk through life, even if you're a Christian, if you walk through life with this feeling that, like, you're not right with God, like God somehow, he's, he's just, he's, he's got these bad feelings towards you or something like that, please know that's on you. That's, that's from your end. Because what we need to do is by faith begin to believe that God actually loves you as much as he does. He actually loves you. Now, this word peace is, is interesting. I want to look at it for a second. It's fascinating. Uh, you know, peace from the Old Testament, we've talked about before, is that word shalom. That's the way it would be in the Hebrew. In the New Testament, uh, it's a whole, whole different culture. It's a thousand years later, new, new world, new language. And the peace, uh, the word for peace is irene. And the word irene actually comes from the world of Greek gods, uh, the Greco-Roman world. Uh, irene was the goddess of peace. And the apostles, it's interesting, the apostles weren't uh, afraid to use that word in their writings because it was, just, it was just the right word to use. This is a little picture here of Irene, as you can see. She's a, a beautiful woman, unfortunately armless. Um, and you can see her child, also armless, must be a family trait. Uh, but uh, you can see there's a lot of affection going on between these two um, and uh, these two lovely armless people. Um, the child is, is Plautus. The, that is the god, the Greek god of wealth and prosperity. 
And so what's, there's something being said here uh, that the goddess of peace holds the god of prosperity. Now, back when the sculpture had arms, and we have the drawings from back then to show us, little Plautus is holding the horn of plenty there, you can barely see. And Irene, uh, she should be holding this big staff. And this is the staff of authority, showing that she rules, right? And so the Greeks are using this symbolism to make a very profound and, and really a true statement. When peace rules, prosperity can flourish. When peace rules, prosperity can flourish. When we're at war, when we're at conflict, you, just, you can't have prosperity. Um, and that is certainly true for societies today. We can look around and see that's true, but it's also true about the human heart. Uh, when peace rules, we can prosper, we can flourish, we can grow. When there's conflict, either between us and other people or between us and God or conflict inside of ourselves or something like that, there is no prosperity. There's no flourishing that's even possible. Let's look at something else Paul says. A couple verses down in verse 10, he says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? So this is interesting. So it, it shows at some point we were God's enemies. There was something between us and God. Something was in the way, our sin, this missing the mark, uh, this, our way of thinking, our way of behaving and relating to other people. It was separating us from God, and, and so much so that we were seen as God's enemies. Now, even though God is the one who, who is, is saying, you've made yourself my enemy, it's a little more theologically complicated than that. And the Apostle Paul, in another, in another passage, he says the same thing, but he points out the problem. In Colossians, let me just look at this real fast. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, and you were at one time strangers and enemies. There it is. Oh, wait, in your minds. In your minds. Not in God's mind. In your mind. You remember the parable of the prodigal son? I want to, you know, just every, such a favorite story of everybody. The prodigal son, it wasn't the father's mind in that parable that needed to change, was it? It was the son's, the one who had left home. And when he finally finds himself living, you know, with the pigs, the son's thinking, I've offended my father so much, there's no going home now. And then, uh, and then when he does decide to go back, he decides, you know, maybe, maybe the best he could hope for is maybe, hopefully my father just won't kill me. And maybe I can just be like a servant in his, on his land or something. But the shock of that story, the, the scandal, the surprise and all of it was that the father was not waiting to punish the son when he came home. The father's heart was one of reconciliation the whole time. And the thing that was keeping the son away in that story was what was going on in the son's mind. He had to change his mind. In fact, there's a line in the parable where it says, the prodigal son says, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, in other words, when he kind of came to his senses, he finally slowed down enough to, to think straight and have eye, his eyes opened to realize, what am I doing here? So Paul says, because we were enemies in our mind, and that's expressed through our evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you, again, Notice the past tense, he's reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him. So as long as we're thinking, it's too late for me, or I'm too far gone, right? God doesn't love me. There's no way God's going to take me back. That shame just pushes us further and further away. But the heart of God is a reconciling heart. His heart 
even now, before you've ever repented or changed your mind, his heart is already a reconciling heart. He already is, is drawing you to him. He's not come to condemn. Jesus said, I haven't come to condemn the world, but to set the world free, right? Not to condemn, but to heal. He wants to heal your wounds. He looks on your sin as a wound that he wants to heal and make better. And in the story of the prodigal son, we see this father, when the, when the son finally comes, and this beautiful picture of the father running out of the house, like, ooh, he's running. What is he? Has he got a sword? What is he? He's, turns out he's not. He's not fuming. He's not angry. He's not waiting for the chance to get justice and revenge. He runs toward the son and embraces him and throws him a feast because grace has always been the heart of God. Grace is always the heart of God. It's the mind of the prodigal. It's our mind that has to change. So peace with God, peace with God, which is the peace, the first peace we have to experience. We can't uh, meditate our way to peace. We can't imagine world peace. We can't figure out peace anywhere until we figure out this first arena of peace and understand that we have peace with God. We've got to experience that. Then we can experience the second area of peace that we're going to talk about today, and that is the peace of God peace of God. The peace of God is an internal peace that is beautiful and sustaining. It's the peace that a lot of us long for. It's the peace that's mentioned in Philippians 4, my favorite scripture. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That means it transcends all circumstances. The peace that has no logical reason for being there in the first place. Why? Because it's supernatural. It's a supernatural peace. You could be going through the worst thing in the world, and the peace of God can be yours. It can be. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're feeling anxious about a situation, Talk to God. What does it say? Pray. Talk to God. Connect to the vine, right? That's how we connect. That's how we abide in the vine. Stay connected, right? You're the fruit. You don't have to muster up a whole lot of strength to do something. You just got to stay connected, right? Prayer. Talk to God. And this actually gets into a type of prayer here that goes way beyond kind of the thing that most of us think about when we think of prayer is asking God for stuff or asking God to do stuff. Um, one of the most powerful aspects of prayer is in its formative power, its ability to change us, to, to change the prayer, right? Not just the circumstances, its ability to shape and transform not just our circumstances, but to transform the one who prays, the one who's struggling in the midst of the circumstances. Life-giving, peace-giving, formative prayer, it will form your soul in a proper way so that it's capable of receiving the peace of God that flows like a river. This is the peace of God that flows like a river. The peace of God that never stops flowing. It never dries up. There's never a drought. Amen. From his end, there is never a drought in the peace of God that flows. Sometimes it feels that way from our end, for sure. But from his end, it's never stopping. The issue is... Can we open ourselves up to it? Are we tapped into it? Are we hanging on to the vine? Can we allow our soul to be receptive in such a way that it is open to whatever God is speaking to us? 
You don't have to make God send forth his peace like a river. Hear me in this. Because I know some of, some of us in this room are, are, are just going through traumatic things. And, and, and you're begging God for peace. God, give me peace. His peace flows like a river. Because it, it, it always flows. And that's where formative prayer can really come into play. It's a kind of prayer that has rocked me uh, and transformed me personally like no other over these past few crazy years that we have been in. It's the kind of prayer that it isn't really begging God for anything uh, other than asking Him to help me hear His voice more clearly, asking Him to help me see His hand at work more clearly, asking Him to help me know His will more clearly so that I can be shaped, so that I can be moved and bent to be better positioned for, for whatever he desires in, in me, in my heart, whatever he desires. And so the idea in, in formative prayer isn't, well, if I pray, then God will fix everything. I fix everything so I don't have any problems. And that's not even what Philippians says there. It's not the promise. The promise is don't worry or be anxious. Don't worry or be anxious because when you pray, his peace, the peace of God that defies explanation, shall flow, and it will guard you from having those, an anxious, troubled soul. It really will. In Christ Jesus. Notice that that scripture ends with in Christ Jesus. Your role is to remain in him, to be, abide in him. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. So there's a part of prayer. There is a part of prayer that, that, uh, that is a, that, it's about asking God for miracles. And I pray that prayer daily, just like many of you do, right? And we get those prayers and we, we pray those prayers. We need God to move. We need him to do something. But there's another side of prayer that, uh, that we don't have time to get into real deeply here today, but, but hopefully maybe later this year we'll, we'll talk some more about this. It isn't just the, it's not just answered in getting the thing that I asked for. The greater result is the peace that floods my soul like a river, the peace that flows eternally from the throne of God, and I've come to believe that the greatest purpose of our prayer and our prayer life, having a prayer life, the greatest purpose of that is to be able to position ourselves to receive that, to walk in that and live in that, to become more connected to his presence. Uh, just to be transparent, I know me. I know the kind of person I am. And the thing is, God could give me everything that I pray for. He could give me all of my wildest dreams everything on my little wish list. And I would be really excited. And then the next morning, I'd be like, okay. Right? That's just kind of the, I, I know me. I know my nature, right? I've, I've, I've had things happen. Oh, great. This thing that, you know, we've been wanting for five years or 10 years or something like that. It's happened. And the next morning, because I'm, I'm waking up the same person. It's still me, right? That hasn't changed. I can wake up unsatisfied, depressed, but when I'm washed in the river of his peace, it doesn't matter what is going on around me. It doesn't matter if I don't get the thing that I'm hoping to get. It doesn't matter. There is no limit to the joy and satisfaction I can feel. Amen. It's a whole different mode of existence. So, also, don't miss another important phrase that's right in the middle of this verse, right? It says, prayer and petition, yes, but we pray what? With thanksgiving. Okay. 
So yeah, yeah you, can, you can tell God about what you're anxious about. Uh, he wants to hear that. He loves you. Uh, you know, you're talking about what your needs are. But also don't forget to weave thanksgiving into this. So you're always highlighting the good things that God has blessed you with. This has a powerful effect on our soul. Gratitude, Mel said it at Home Life on, on Friday. Gratitude is the guardian of our soul against entitlement, against complaining. Gratitude is, is the guardian of our soul. I, I thought of a, a picture of gratitude. In fact, while we were sitting there in, in our home life group, I was sitting there and I was thinking, gratitude to me is like a big you are here map. I was thinking, I was thinking when I was a kid, when I was like newly graduated from high school, uh, my best friend and I like did the ultimate high school trip. We went to France and I thought this is going to be great because this is the best. This is like, you know, a lifelong dream to go to France. I'd never like flown on a plane like over water or anything like that. So, you know, first time I'm, I'm this like idiot kid and uh, he, I won't say he was an idiot, but he, you know, yeah, yeah, we were both idiots. So anyway, but <laughs> We were like, we're going all by ourselves too. There's like no parents, you know, nothing. And we saved up our money, went on this trip. And uh, so we're going to, and we're in Paris. And it was, you know, just, you can imagine. I'd taken like high school French too. So I was really excited to use that. And um, <laughs> turns out, yeah, French people think that's hilarious that you even try. Um, like, so I've been to other countries where if you try to make a, an effort, they just like love it and they just appreciate you for it, even if it's bad. And the French are not like that at all. Um, it's just offensive to them that you're there trying to speak their holy language. Anyway, so we're there and we had been there a few days and we'd spent most of our money getting there. That was like the plane ticket was most of our money. So we're staying in this like little cheap hostel, hotel, motel thing. And, uh, but, and had not stepped foot into like an actual restaurant the whole time we were there eating off the street, eating stuff. You get off the street there. There's like these little, you know, crepe vendors and stuff like that. And you eat those and uh, bread, eating a lot of bread. Um, <laughs> it's funny. There's this one shop we went into I thought it was going to be really impressive, and I, I spoke in, you know, I practiced my little French way to say it, and I asked the guy up there, and I, I wanted, you know, I asked him for some French bread, and he was like, it's all French. <laughs> he was like, thought that was the dumbest thing to ask for, and I was like, oh, I guess that's true. They call it something else. Uh, so anyway, so we're there several days, and, and third day in, now this is way back way long time ago, like when great lizards roamed the earth. This is before the age of the internet or cell phones or anything like that. This is way back. This is like the late 80s, early 90s. And so uh, we um, were there a few days and starting to get tired uh, of not knowing where we're going and, you know, the way people are treating us. And, and we're, we're trying to figure out the metro, you know, the subway system and all this kind of stuff. And so finally, you know, you do the thing that you're not like supposed to do when you just pull out the big map. You know, back then it was the big map. You didn't have your phone. So it was a big map. We pull it out because we're just so discouraged and nobody will help us. And pull out the big map, figure, figure out, okay, where we're at. And it was amazing. Both of us were like, pull out the big map, and we're trying to see where we're at. Okay, we're, we're right here. And we look, and both of us are like, dude, we're in Paris. <laughs> it was like just a reminder, oh, wait, we're in Paris, right? We are like two, you know, how awesome is this? Two dudes in Paris. And it was just that reminder that 
you know, everything is, we, we were lost, didn't have any money, we were tired, but, you know, we were living, living our little dream right there. And just seeing that reminder, it's like, and so I always remember that, like, gratitude being this, like, reminder, hey, 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 big picture, hey, big picture. Sometimes we need that, just a reminder, like, step back, you are here, look where you're at, right? And look what Jesus has done for you. And sometimes we, we talked about this, that, you know, you just recalibrate sometimes, the greatest thing could happen to you and your just mood instantly recalibrates to that and that becomes like, eh, okay. But we just have to remind ourselves, Jesus is Lord, right? Oh, we have been rescued. We are loved by the Almighty Father, the God of the universe. I mean, sometimes you just need a big, you are here map to remind you of that, you know? So that's gratitude. That's gratitude. And sometimes Thanksgiving is hard. It is. The thing you're going through, the last thing you want anybody to come up and tell you is like, just be thankful, right? You just want to punch them in the neck, you know, when they say that. <laughs> but if you, if, you, if you think about what you would be like if you were really able to practice gratitude, if that became just a part of you, like whatever's going on to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be grateful that I'm a child of God, that he's got me in this. He's going he's gonna to get me through this. Um, in all things, even when you have a need that's making you anxious. And, and sometimes it's even good to just kind of make a list, right? You just kind of like list five things that you're really grateful for. Um, and, and, and just say those things out loud. So, and it helps you be formed in his image. That's that formative type of thing where he's, you know, he's producing the fruit. You just got to stay connected to him and remind yourself of the fruit that he's growing in you. And you know, it helps you not become just sort of a black hole of negativity and complaining, right? And I want to remember that there's a lot to be thankful for. I have to remind myself of that. And that's going to change who you are when, you, when you're able to make that a habit, make that part of your discipline, your practice. Some of these disciplines, I heard, I heard it uh, described as sort of like the lattice work that the, the vine grows on. These disciplines that we do, they, they might become, you might have to set your alarm to read the Bible or to pray or something like that. But those are important because those give the vine something to grow on. Um, that's a whole different subject anyway. Um, but that's going to change who you are. Partnering with the flow of the Holy Spirit, this is the peace of God. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. There's just something about the teachings of Jesus, getting his words deep down inside us. They lead to peace. And what does he say? In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world, right? We need a big you are here map. I've overcome, yeah, you're in this thing, and yeah, right now, you don't know where you're going, and nobody speaks your language, but take heart, right? I've overcome the world. It doesn't matter that, it, it doesn't mean you won't have conflict, but the greater truth is that rules our lives is that Jesus loves us. He is Lord. He's overcome the world, and so I really can't have this peace, but I have to choose to marinate in that. I do have to choose to marinate in that. I heard a story uh, recently from Lynn Hybels. She's the wife of uh, former pastor of Willow Creek, Bill Hybels. Lynn Hybels, um, that's a big mega church up north if you don't know about that. Anyway, she's the, she was the pastor's wife. And I was listening to her talk about this really dark time in her life 
right? Hey, pray for your pastor wives, right? Uh, what the, the, the amazing things that they do and the things that they go through and the way I, I see Melissa and my mom both just growing up seeing my mom and now I see the same thing with Melissa, just the way they pour out, pour out into people. Um, but I was listening to her talk once about a dark time. Emotionally, she was feeling herself kind of drift away from God, from faith, from her understanding of who God was, really questioning, is God really good? Um, she was kind of projecting on God all kinds of little negative things. Does God really love me? Is he angry at me? Do I have this relationship with him? And that mindset began to overtake her uh, so much that, that even reading her Bible wasn't really helping because she was reading her Bible even through this lens of God doesn't love me. God doesn't really like me, right? Some of us like know God loves you, but he don't, you don't think he likes you. You know what I mean? Um, and do you know if you read your Bible through that lens that God doesn't really like me, there's a lot of stuff in there that can fuel that, right? You can come away with thinking that. And so she would just begin to sort of mentally highlight anything in the Bible about wrath or judgment or offending God. And she, was, she said she was talking to a friend and said, I think, you know, I'm really learning from the Bible that God just hates me. And the friend said, well, where's Jesus in all of this? Where's Jesus in all of this? And because uh, the truth is, it's a very hard conclusion to come to that God hates you, that God doesn't like you when you start hanging out with Jesus. And it doesn't mean you ignore the rest of the Bible, but sometimes you, you center yourself, well, we should always center ourselves on Jesus, you know, because we're Christ followers. We center ourselves on Christ. And then what Jesus does is give us an interpretive lens to understand the rest of Scripture, so we read the rest of Scripture through that lens of Jesus. And so this friend of hers said, hey, do me a favor. Uh, just spend some time, spend week, a few weeks or, you know, months, however long it takes, just reading through the Gospels. The Gospels are the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through the Gospels. Just stay in the Gospels. Don't read anything else. And I think you need to get to know Jesus better. And so she did this. She did this. Uh, she did that for a whole year just reading through the Gospels over and over. And it lifted this dark cloud. And it just began to lift. And she, she even found herself wanting to argue with it, uh, you know, kind of play devil's advocate about things. She wanted to sit in that unworthiness and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not. But she couldn't argue anymore with Jesus. Spending that time with Jesus in the form of these stories in the Gospel. And finally, she just realized, I am just so loved God really does care about me. Amen. And she went through this, like, Jesus detox. And, and I, I've prescribed this to people before who are having trouble. Just read the Gospels. Get some Jesus detox going on. And it allowed her, after that, then to go to the rest of Scripture and understand it better through that lens of Jesus, uh, which is, of course, what Jesus tells his followers to do when they're reading Scripture. He says, all of this is about me. Read it through the lens of me. Anyway. Okay. Oh, we're good. Here we go. So once we're really at peace with God, we can experience this beautiful peace of God that's sort of internal. That, that peace with God is that vertical peace we get because we're justified, we're saved. The peace of God is that internal peace. Then we can begin to walk in the third realm of peace, which is what this church is all about, and that is peace toward others. This is when we are being equipped by the Holy Spirit, to offer this kind of peace to other people, where we are walking so in this peace inwardly and upwardly, 
that we can begin to live a, a lifestyle of peace outwardly toward other people. Jesus says in, in a bit of the, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. So that's you and me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Paul says in Romans, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now this is both challenging and liberating. Live at peace with everyone. Oh man right? There's some hard people out there to get along with. I mean, live at peace with everybody. But it's also liberating because it, it says as far as it depends on you, because you can't change everyone's heart, right? right? You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not accountable for other people's reactions. You're accountable for your own. And this is good. I have to remind myself of this all the time. Okay, because I'll get really discouraged. Like, oh, they're still mad at me. Oh, no, what have I done wrong? I, I can't change everybody, right? And so far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Then he says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So there's, some, there's God's wrath. Um, I think we talked about that last year a little bit, the wrath of God. Uh, and, and the whole point of being a peacemaker and someone who lives this life of peace is that we can be assured, we can be assured that there's, there will be justice in the end, right? There's going to be, there is going to be a day where all, all, you know, all the wrongs are made right. There's going to be justice and there are, are natural consequences as well as divine consequences to sin and injustice. But I can remind myself, that's not my job. That is not my job to bring the judgment to bring the justice, right, to everyone who has done wrong. So actually believing that God is the one who will fairly judge is a way that it allows me to focus on loving. I can focus on loving, which is what he told me to focus on. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. <clears throat> He's quoting here from the Psalms. God says, you want justice, you want vengeance, you want payback, leave it to me. Leave it to me. Leave it to him. Of course, he's probably just going to go off and forgive them, so. <laughs> he said, just leave that to me. And so we're going to trust that with, with him. He says, on the contrary, and here he quotes from the Proverbs. This is a scripture from the Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That is an interesting phrase we don't have time to go into. It's an ancient Jewish idiom <clears throat> that means to do something so kind that it makes a person feel conviction about the way they've been treating you. Um, <clears throat> it's not torturing somebody by throwing fire on their head. It, it, it was a way of, of, of saying your kindness is, is actually going to be an, a, a tool for their restoration and conviction, right? So that's, that's good, an inner conviction for them. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. So the Apostle Paul, I love this passage. He is so deeply rooted in the teachings of Jesus. He finds these fresh ways to express it to the early church. Um, and when I read this, 
I have to keep reminding myself that I'm not reading out of the Gospels. It, it sounds so much like Jesus to me. It's like Paul being his most Jesus-y, right? It, this is a man who is connected with the vine. He's growing this genuine Jesus fruit. And so can we. We can grow this. We can both uh, experience God's peace, this irony, and we can offer this peace to other people. What a beautiful way to, to live in relationship with God, with other people. And all of this is just another brilliant reminder from Scripture that the blessings that we are blessed with are not just for us. The peace that we all crave, we all crave it. Maybe you've prayed for it this week, God, I need peace. But that blessing is not just for us. Ultimately, it is for blessing others with. And peace is no different. We're blessed with peace so that we can bless others with it. It doesn't do any good for God to help you feel better and calmer and more peaceful if then you're just going to go be a jerk to people. It's given to you so that you can be a blessing. So you can be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus to everybody you come across, to everybody you're online with, everybody you talk to, the people you work with, you go to school with. We have to be, we have that river of peace that comes from the throne of God. We don't want to be a dam, right? We want that river to just flow right through us right? Right through us to the other people. Peace is so much more than about you and I feeling chill and relaxed and our kids not bugging us, right? (laughs) The peace of God ultimately is an expression of the love of God. It's a part of the love of God. And so through Christ, we've been reconciled. We've been granted peace with God. That's that vertical peace so that we can experience the peace of God inside inwardly, which enables us to grant that peace, to gift that peace outwardly toward everyone else. This morning, we're going to um, take communion together. And uh, if you have your elements with you, uh, you can get that ready here. Uh, if you're watching from home, we would love for you to take communion with us. Just grab you a piece of bread and some juice and we would love to do this together, um, to partake in the Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Jesus, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't care what denomination you are or part of, uh, you're welcome to partake of this with you. We're, we're not exclusive, like you've got to be like generations member or something like that. Uh, communion is about our unity in Christ. We are united in Christ. If you're here today and you've never done this before, uh, maybe you're just now sitting here thinking, man, I want to take this next step with Jesus. I want to be in communion with Jesus and with the body of Christ, with the people here. I want to have peace with God and peace inside so I can bless other people with this peace. Then I I invite you to join in with us. This is a great, a great opportunity, a great act of faith to, to invite Jesus in with you right now. And if you're here today, maybe you're here today and you're still kind of investigating what Jesus is all about. You're not quite ready uh, to say yes to Jesus yet. I don't want you to feel any pressure to. You don't have to go through this. This is uh, just something very special for, for people who have said yes to Jesus. So don't feel any pressure to join in. But do know this. There's always a seat at the table for you. Jesus reserves you a seat at his table anytime you're ready. You don't have to make a reservation. You don't have to get dressed up. You don't have to get your act together everything to be all good and looking holy. Just come, sit at the table. There's an open space for you. You just got to come hungry.
Come hungry for whatever Jesus wants to feed you with. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In the same way, it says he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Hallelujah. We just bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this new covenant, for your gift of grace. Lord, as we have taken this bread and this cup in remembrance of you, may we also be filled with more and more of your spirit, more of your fruit, more of your love and peace, so that it just flows to everybody we come across this week. Lord, may we sense your presence that flows like a river and brings us peace in our lives, even in the midst of our own troubles. Help us to know that you will faithfully lead us into a good tomorrow. And we are so grateful, God, that there are no more walls that separate us from you or from each other. We thank you, God, for second chances, for redos. Hallelujah. I ask that this week, Lord, that you would continue to remind us of this beautiful truth that we might live out of the peace of our belonging with you. Help us to know how much you love us. In the name of the crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, stand to your feet, all my friends, as our prayer partners are coming down now. Uh, if you have anything in the world that they can pray with you about, we invite you to come and let them join with you in faith and pray for that thing, whatever it is, whether it's something in your body, whether it's something in your mind, your emotions, just the way things are going, maybe a relationship that's going on that needs some reconciliation. God can do it. Nothing is too hard for him. Amen? Nothing is too hard for him. Uh, also, you can send us your prayer request uh, online or using the different methods there because we would love to know. We've got a whole prayer team of people who would love to pray with you uh, about whatever's going on in your life. Amen? So my friends, may the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the peace that flows like a river be with you this week in this, this world that we're living in. Grace and peace. Bye-bye.